Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Hello again. A couple of Truth Talks ago, I spoke about the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves before we launch out and particularly publicly critique or criticize a Bible teacher or a scholar or a preacher or a pastor or somebody of that ilk. And I used as a sort of running example through this the recent flood of criticisms aimed at Andy Stanley, who made this controversial statement that it was time for Christians to unhitch from the Jewish scriptures. Then, in the questions and answers session at the end of that particular truth talk, my daughter Corin challenged me and she said, well, Dad, you know, you say that you're not going to say anything about how you think about Andy Stanley's comments because you haven't yet answered those five questions. So why don't you answer them for yourself and then tell us what you think? So this talk is my response to that challenge and my comments concerning what Andy Stanley said in his Aftermath series of sermons. So firstly, I need to just respond to three of the key questions which I posed that need to be answered. I need to practice what I preach, I guess. First question was, so just how important is the perceived problem? Before launching out and criticizing, is this problem serious enough to warrant that kind of attention? Well, in this particular case, there are at least three important issues which are under the spotlight here. One, the inspiration and authority of the Bible. Is that being challenged? And that's an important question. Two, the relevance of the Old Testament, which is really the specific area that we're going to drill down on. And three, how do we communicate the gospel to the current and coming generations of unbelievers? So yeah, it's a, a subject which needs to be explored and responded to, I think. The second question was, do I really understand what the person is actually saying? Do I have a sufficient grasp on what Andy Stanley is teaching and saying in order to make a properly balanced and informed response? Okay, so let me tell you what I did. I've read his book, Deep and Wide, which is subtitled, subtitled Creating Churches Unchurched People Love to Attend. I've listened to all three parts of his Aftermath series on YouTube. I've read a transcript of an interview he gave to a magazine where he responds to the kind of questions his critics are opposing. I've read through his 27-page booklet entitled The Bible Says So is Not Enough Anymore. And in addition, I've viewed Dr. Brown's line of fire comments on Andy Stanley's approach. And I've also read or viewed a number of hostile critiques of him. And what he teaches. So I think I have a fairly good grasp on what he's saying. I think enough of a grasp to be able to respond in a balanced and informed fashion. The third question is, can I reasonably discern his art, his heart attitude and motivation? Well, actually, his heart and motivation come through very clearly in his interview that he gave to Relevant Magazine. And also, Dr. Michael Brown, who's a theologian I respect, affirms that he has spoken to Andy and that his motives appear to be pure and that he has a pastoral heart. So I have actually no reason to criticize Andy as a person. And so I have no need to contact him directly any further to further ascertain what I seem to already know here. The only negative comments I have actually are about his approach 
and about the implications of some of the things he teaches. All right, so let's on to some specific observations and responses from part one of his three-part aftermath series. Well, a preliminary observation, my first observation actually, is that if we're going to critique him, we need to listen to all three parts of his aftermath series before jumping to any conclusions. You see, a lot of critics pounce on his, it's time for Christians to unhitch from the Jewish scriptures comment. But that statement actually only comes in part three. We need to listen to part one and part two to understand why he's saying that. My second big observation is that the big point of almost all that Andy says in his series is about how we can reach current and future generations with the gospel. That's his concern. His church model that he operates with is what's known as seeker-sensitive. And within this context, his major concern is with, and I'll quote from him, how we talk about the Bible, and specifically what we point to as the foundation of faith, which for most Christians, unfortunately, is the Bible. Now, that is a quote from him. I don't subscribe to his unfortunately comment, but that's what he's saying. So, he's not actually addressing how Christians view the Bible, or how we speak to each other about the Bible. His concern is about how we use the Bible as our source of authority, when addressing the current generations of unbelievers. Now, this is absolutely key to understand what he's trying to communicate. Unfortunately, when Andy speaks of the scriptures, he uses a number of different terms, ranging from the Jewish scriptures to the Old Covenant, but sometimes even he talks about the Bible. Now, the Bible is more than just the Old Testament, it's also the New Testament, so it's not always clear Uh, if he regards just the Old Testament as essentially redundant, or indeed the New Testament as well. You see, he says things like, and I quote again, the Achilles heel of our modern version of faith is sola scriptura. The Bible alone is the final authority and the foundation of our faith. And then he adds, and again I'll quote, the foundation of our faith is not a story, The foundation of our faith is an event. And he goes on to claim that the first disciples didn't have Bibles, but rather that they based their faith on the resurrection from the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, newsflash, the very first believers came out of Judaism. In fact, the uh, I think almost 100% of those first Christians were Jewish by background and by training. And they did have a Bible. Their Bible consisted of what we now call the 39 books of the Old Testament. So, they understood Jesus' advent, his crucifixion, and his resurrection within the context of their scriptures. So, when Andy says, quote, the Bible did not create Christians, Christians created the Bible, he must surely be referring only to the New Testament. Well, yeah, of course. Jesus himself is our source of truth. And yes, of course, the Christian message stands or falls on the authenticity of the resurrection. But here's the question. How do we and the generations that follow us come to know Jesus? And how do we test the authenticity of his resurrection, if not through the New Testament scriptures? That's how we do it. 
And how do we appreciate the fullness of who Jesus is and what he taught and what he did without reference to what Andy calls the backstory, which is the Old Testament? You know, I think that in an attempt to communicate how we should be approaching new generations of unbelievers, Andy is casting doubt on the relevance of, of the entire Bible. However, in his booklet where he defends his belief and his methods, he writes, I believe the Bible is without error in everything it affirms. I believe that what the Bible says is true, is true. That's a pretty orthodox statement of belief in the inspiration and integrity of the Scripture. So then, how do we understand his call for us to unhitch from the Old Testament? You know, he's not just saying unbelievers you know, need to not to be directed to Old Testament. He's saying, hey, church, it's time for us to ditch the Old Testament and move on. Now, let me just state up front that where I do actually agree with Andy is that agnostic, postmodern, post-truth generational folk just do not accept biblical authorities. as simple as that. So, what's the use of quoting the Bible to them and at them and expecting them to believe us simply because the Bible says so. I agree with that statement. I agree that that's a pretty useless endeavor. I also agree that we should be starting with unbelievers with our testimony to Jesus and his life and ministry. And I believe, moreover, that we should be testifying to his reality and the power of the gospel in our lives by demonstrating it in the way we live. However, Andy has another concern. He's troubled by the onslaught of atheist scholars. There's been another whole slew of these, these folk making statements and writing books and so on recently. And they're attacking the factual and moral veracity of the Bible. Now, his contention, his fear, I guess, is that if, if these antagonists are able to discredit one part of the biblical account, then the entire, what he calls, house of cards will fall. Now, the kind of attacks he's referring to are directed mainly, but not exclusively, at things in the Old Testament, such as the creation account, Old Testament history accounts of God-directed genocides, and so on. And these critics claim that the God of the Old Testament is some kind of this baby-bashing monster, and that the stories of his workings with his chosen race are just rural myths. So he's worried, he's fearful that if that grains traction and if, if they can in some way validate that, then the whole Bible falls because of our contention that all of this is true and relevant. Well, I'll tell you what my contention is. I contend that we should not abandon the Old Testament because of these attacks, for any reason, actually. That we should rather explain its purpose, its style, and the human influences in its composition. It's not that the Bible is erroneous or that there's a problem in that God could possibly per be perceived negatively in the Old Testament. The real problem is that so many people just don't understand its purpose. And I think that's what we, we should be focusing in this particular issue. I'll come back to that in a, in a moment or two. First, some specific observations and responses to part two of Andy's Aftermath series. Well, in part two of his series, he contends that we should not try and mix and match the Old Covenant 
with the new covenant. Just another argument of why he, we need to be ditching the Old Testament. He claims, and uh, I quote, Paul saw the incompatibility of the old and new covenants. And then Andy adds that God changed covenants. That first covenant was over. The covenant that God established with the nation of Israel was a means to an end. And when Jesus showed up, the end of that covenant had come. So then he goes on and says, therefore, you've got to let it go. So now, if I take this kind of statement, which comes across loud and clear in what he's saying, and I read it and hear it in conjunction with what he says concerning his belief that all of the Bible is without error and everything it affirms, then I have to come to the conclusion that he holds the Old Testament to be inspired and true, but here's the kicker, but no longer relevant. Yes, God inspired it. Yes, it's true. But hey, we need to ditch it because it has no relevance for us anymore. He actually confirms this, I think, when he says, and again I'm quoting, Once you've got the new covenant, you have to let go of the old covenant. It's our covenant, and ours is better. Now, he actually said, I did a slight misquote there, he said, concerning the old covenant, the old covenant is not our covenant. Ours is better. Therefore, we've got to let it go. Now, I've got serious problems with this sort of statement. You see, Jesus and his disciples, his followers, validated the authenticity and the influence of the Old Testament. And they often quoted from it. So if the Old Testament fails critical scrutiny, then what does this imply concerning the New Testament, which actually validates the Old Testament? Besides, some obvious things. The Old Testament has such things as the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, one of the things the critics like to hammer, by the way. But the Gospels have Jesus and Peter walking on water. So what's the diff? And if we give atheistic critics and next-generation seekers a free pass on their objections to God's dealing with people like the Amalekites in the Old Testament, how then are we going to defend his dealing with Ananias and Sapphira in the New? Ananias and Sapphira are kind of an example of what appears to be some very harsh dealings in the New Testament, where God apparently strikes them down dead because they sold a piece of property and lied about it. So how on earth do we deal with that if we concede that in the Old Testament that's how God is? If the Old Testament is discredited, then so is the New Testament. And if the Gospel accounts are suspect, then on what basis do we claim that the resurrection actually occurred. Yet we base our faith on that in, to a large extent. We base our faith on Jesus. And his message is authenticated by him rising from the dead. But how do we know that this is true? Because it tells us so in the New Testament. So, again, my firm conviction is that we should rather affirm the authenticity and relevance of the whole Bible, Old and New Covenants, and we should counter critical objections rather by explaining what the Scriptures actually are. Now, this is the point I said I'd come back to. What then are the Scriptures? The Scriptures are a divine human collaboration designed to instruct and draw humanity into an eternal relationship with the triune God. The Bible is not written as a theological dictionary where we can look up under 
are for resurrection and get all the details of that. It's not a cookbook of how to live. It's not a magical source book of what we can do to control the supernatural realm. It is the God-inspired but humanly influenced story of God's working and dealing with mankind, and it's specifically designed to draw us into a relationship with himself in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, lastly, specific observations and responses to part three of the This is the part where Andy makes his much-quoted time to unhitch from the Old Testament comments. But you know, he's already built this case in part two. Here in the last part, in part three, he builds his argument essentially around the Jerusalem conference which is described in Acts chapter 15. And he claims that the church leaders unhitched the church from the worldview, value system, and regulations of the Jewish scriptures. That's a quote. He says that they did this in order to make it easy for Gentile converts to come to faith. Bingo, he says, therefore we should do the same. We should unhitch from the Old Testament for the same reasons, to make it easy for Gentile converts, for unsaved people, modern people, to come to faith. You know, before I end this talk, I need to just make it quite clear where I stand, so there can be no confusion about that. Firstly, as a preface, I actually don't agree with the seeker-sensitive approach to the church. Uh, see, this is something that frames his whole mindset and, and his argument. I actually don't believe that the seeker-sensitive, which is really trying to set everything up so it doesn't offend unsaved people and just allows them the easiest passage possible into the Christian community, I, I don't believe that it's a biblically viable model for doing church. I think it might might be an effective pre-evangelism tool. But I honestly don't think it meets the criteria, the biblical criteria for an authentic church family life. Secondly, and this is more relevant to the specifics, I do not agree that we should ditch the Old Testament as irrelevant to the gospel and modern life. However, I do believe that we need to present the gospel as a Jesus-centered rather than a Bible-centered reality, without implying in any way that two-thirds of it at least are irrelevant and confusing. You see, the gospel is both Jesus-centered and Bible-based. Let me just explain what, what I mean here. So often we present the Christian message as being centered on the Bible, but of course it's not centered on the Bible. It's centered on the person and life and resurrection and ascension and continuing glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is revealed to us in and through the Scriptures. So the Gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what He's done, is centered on Him, Jesus-centered, but it is also Bible-based. But it shouldn't be presented as something which is Bible-based, and Jesus influenced. It's centered on Jesus. But we know him in and through the scriptures. So, my conclusion of the whole matter. From what I've heard and read, it seems to me that Andy Stanley is genuinely concerned for the integrity of the good news of salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems to me, too, that he's passionate about communicating this to current and future generations of unbelievers. I think that's where his heart is, and I think his motivation in terms of that is pure. 
from what I can see, what I've heard and what I've read. However, he claims that he's just a pastor of a little bunch of churches and that we shouldn't be too bothered about what he's saying to his people because his people understand his seeker-sensitive context. But he's not. He's much more than that. He's not just the pastor of a few little American churches. He's actually the leader of the largest church in the United States of America, the most influential nation in the world. Therefore, he is one of the most influential voices in the Christian world. So, I really, really do hope that Andy Stanley will re-examine his theology, and I hope that he will weigh more carefully what he communicates to the church at large. If you want to follow the links and the, the sources of the material that I used for, for this talk, then they are on the website, truthistheword.com, and I've listed them all in the article there. Now, at this point, my daughter Corin normally joins us for a question and answer session, but she can't join us today, unfortunately, which maybe is just as well, because I see we've run past 22 minutes in this talk alone. So I'm going to say goodbye for now, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebbler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth is